This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has perused the entirety of the EU. What are we talking about today? So today we are doing the second short story in Tales from Jabba's Palace, Taster's Choice, the tale of Jabba's chef, written by Barbara Hambly. Ah... Uh... <laughs> Edited by Kevin J. Anderson and published by Bandit Spectra in January 96. A match made in hell. <laughs> Hamley and Anderson. <laughs> That's actually because I like this one. Well, I think it's because Anderson edited it, so the language <laughs> isn't so dense. This is the second short story that we have read by Barbara Hamley for the podcast, joining Night Lily the Lover's Tale from Tales from Los Arthur Cantina. She does have a third short story called Murder and Flush Time, and it was originally published in Star Wars Adventure Journal 14 and was eventually released online. Taster's Choice tells the story of Purcellus, Jabba's chef who has been with the hut for several years. As with many of the characters who work in the palace, he's often worried about being imprisoned and or killed. It's kind of a common theme in that place. God. Really just on Tatooine, I guess, a common theme. While I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, well, at least I'm not worried about being murdered at my job. Right? But to record your job. It really puts things in perspective, sort of. So the story opens with Malakili telling Porcellus that Jabba has acquired two new droids. Porcellus asks what they eat, and Malakili says, they're droids. In kind of like a dummy kind of way, and Porcellus just says, good. Enough to make food for more people. Malakili also says that they are quite polite. Porcellus is well known for beignets and is making some while they talk. One thing I have to give Pops to Hanley for. We've got beignets in the Star Wars universe, which... Mwah. I like beignets, okay? Don't judge me. <laughs> I mean... Fried dough with powdered sugar on top. What's not to like? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to go wrong. I like a good beignet. Yeah. Flegman, the kitchen boy, comes in carrying a box of Belsavian bovine fruit. What is bovine fruit? The bovine makes me think of a cow. Is it from Belsavis? I mean, I assume so, given that it's Belsavian. Okay. So this is just her connecting back to her novel? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out the combination of... Oh, is it actually spelled like you spelled it in the notes, as in B-O-W-V-I-N-E? So it is actually spelled like that, which makes me think it might be pronounced bovine. Maybe. Like it's not bovine as in cows. No. It's a vine fruit. As in a plant. That bows. Well. Which rhymes with cows? Maybe it is bovine, and it's like the vine looks like a bow. Maybe those vines from the end of Trill the Jedi that Leia was climbing on, that Leia pushed the dude off of, that Han pushed the dude off of. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, Porcellus has been Jabba's slave for five years, and so far, nothing terrible has happened to him. But Malakili warns him that Jabba had indigestion the previous night, and apparently Jabba thinks it's fire effect, which... Malakili thinks, he's not sure about this, but he's pretty sure that is the Hutti's word for poison. Malakili is warning Porcellus because he likes the chef and doesn't want to have to feed him to the rancor. Porcellus ransacks the kitchen, trying to find what might have been the culprit. It's like, why did I give Jabba that made him feel bad? There's also a bit about how he didn't even know that huts could get indigestion. <laughs> yeah, like they eat just about anything. Yeah. While he's ransacking the kitchen, Bib Fortuna comes in to see him and says that Jabba is most displeased. And Barcella says that he does nothing but the finest ingredients in everything he prepares for the hut. 
And both are very careful about what they say and stay away from the word poison during this conversation. Bib doesn't want to outright accuse him, and Porcellus doesn't want to admit to anything. While they're talking, Akbuz, a weak way and commander of the sail barge, tries to steal some beignets and manages to get one. He's actually got, Porcellus actually has a little, like, electric fence around Yeah, apparently people try to steal these all the time. After he leaves, Bib says they could blame Akbuz. Porcellus says that won't be necessary. A few hours later, Porcellus finds Akbuz's body in a corridor on the way to his, the servant's quarters. Now Priscilla is really panicking and worrying that his food has killed the Weequay. But row and that's a fair enough conclusion to draw at this point. Yeah. He needs to get back to the kitchen to make dinner, but has no idea what to make. He goes to his room to relax and think, but Akbuz's body has been moved to outside his room. Bizarre. Threatening? A little bit. Weird. A Gamorian guard comes up and asks, what happened here? And Priscilla says, nothing. Nothing's going on. Akbuz is just asleep. And the Gamorian says, he looks dead, though. And Portalis asks the Gamorian if he's ever seen a weak way sleep, and the guard says no. And he's like, well, there you go. This is what they look up when they sleep. They look dead. <laughs> After the guard leaves, Porcellus drags the body to the machine yard and hides it in the scrap pile. Jabba is upset with his dinner, and Threepo translates what the hut says into a much nicer, kinder message. Because that's what Threepo does. Jabba asks for real food after giving some to Ula, the Twi'lek dancer, who we all know from Return of the Jedi. He wants something fresh, live, and untouched. So, Porcellus brings out a glass bowl of live Klaatuian patty frogs. It's what we see him eating in the movie. Porcellus sticks around to keep an eye on Ula and to make sure she doesn't die of poison. She doesn't. Instead, Jabba drops her into the Rancor pit and she dies from being eaten alive. So, I mean, his food didn't kill her, at least? And even if it was poisoned, it's unlikely that that dosage would affect a rancor upon eating a contaminated person. Yeah. That night, a bounty hunter brings Chewbacca into the palace. And afterward, Porcellus returns to the kitchen and he finds Flegman dead, the young page boy who was in there earlier. He brought in that fruit and he was trying to yeas unsuccessfully. A Gamorian guard named Gartog comes in and asks if he's sleeping. This is the Gamorian guard from the previous day who saw the weekly, hence the question. Reese Agand is also there and says he found him near Ifant Mon's room, but he brought the boy here to do emergency culinary resuspiration. That's how it's spelled in the novel. In okay, the text. got it. <laughs> Gartog buys the story and picks up the body and just kind of walks away with it. So he's not carrying a dead body over his shoulder. And then he returns the next morning still carrying the body. <laughs> he says there's a plot and he's looking for clues. Porcellus tells him to get the body out of the kitchen. Before leaving, Gartog says that the bounty hunter is a girl and a lady friend of Solo. Later, when Porcellus meets Leia, he takes great pity on her. Because, you know, she's now chained to the hut in the slave attire. Future hut slayer attire. And he apologizes to her and he even offers to bring her some food from the kitchen. And she thanks him for his kindness. For her, he makes sure that Solo gets good food in the dungeon. Most prisoners rarely get any food, so Han is quite lucky in this regard. For days now, Porcellus has been bringing Jabba his old favorite dishes. Jabba says he thinks there is firefeck in it, but Porcellus says no. Leia says no firefeck and eats some of it. She then turns green and sits down while Jabba laughs. Oof. Poor Leia. 
But even as a prisoner, she's still trying to save people. Yeah. That's all I know. She's got a real complex. Like Luke. Yeah. They must be related. They just run in the same circles. Soon after, Luke shows up and, of course, kills the Rancor. And Porcellus watches the fight with everyone else. He feels safe knowing that being fed to it won't be his fate, but he does feel bad for Molecule. Jabba then says Porcellus will die for putting Firefeck in his food. Porcellus claims that the food wasn't poisoned. 3PO says the fire effect doesn't mean poison. It means like a hex or a death curse. And many who have recently eaten Porcellus's food did die. So 3PO calls it a natural misunderstanding. It's a little comfort to Porcellus as he's dragged to a cell to await his doom. Ending the story. So what'd you think? It was fine. I mean, it was definitely more readable than a lot of Hambly stuff. Significantly. So that was nice. I got hung up on a couple of weird details that seemed very wrong. For example, when Leia is first described, she's described with dark red hair. I don't know what everybody in this era is doing with Leia's hair, but in some way they all have it wrong. Like, they don't understand how long hair can realistically grow, or they don't understand what kind of maintenance it takes to upkeep hair of that length, or they're completely blind and just describe it as a different color than it actually is. It is brown. She has brown hair. Yes. <laughs> Why am I being glared at? I wanted you to corroborate me here because I feel like it made me feel crazy. I would actually call her head blue in the right light. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, like a lot of rich brown hair in a certain light, you can sort of see like a little bit of a reddish tinge to her hair, but it is not red. It is not dark red. It is brown. She's not Mara Jade. She's not Mara Jade. The other weird thing was at the end, Porcellus is thinking that Jabba has been threatening to throw him to the Rancor for five years. Which doesn't seem possible to me, because based on the first story, it seemed like Jabba only had the Rancor for a matter of months. Yeah. I took that as they meant that he's been there for five years, he's always been worried about being killed, and the Rancor is just Jabba's current personal favorite way of That's doing, not so. the way the sentence is structured. I know. That's how I take it, though. Stop making excuses for this travesty. <laughs> so, I don't think it's as strong as the previous story we read, Sang Malakili. But I still enjoyed it for the most part. It does a good job of showing more of the relationship between the denizens of Jabba's palace and also has some humorous moments. And at the end, I do genuinely feel bad for Porcellus. But the ending is also amusing because of that misunderstanding done by Malakili at the start of the story. So like on the one hand, I'm sad. On the other hand, I'm kind of giggling. It's a, it's a fine line to walk. Though. A lot of authors, I think, struggle to do it. So I'm actually kind of surprised that Hambly managed to pull it off pretty well, I feel like. Pull what off? Of making people sad, but also laugh at the same time. I experienced neither of those things. No? Really. Okay. Yeah. I just felt kind of neutral on the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't feel particularly attached to Porcellus. Also, while I'm not a big fan of Hamley's novels, more on that in our next episode, I have enjoyed her short stories quite a bit more. I still don't love them, but for the most part, the story is much easier to follow and understand, and the language is less complex. Also, both this and Knightly had a bit of a surprise ending to them. And Knightly, it was the death of the Godel, the jerk, the um, the hunter of women, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
And in this one, it's that misunderstanding of fire effect and what it means for corpus health. I, I like that the endings of both surprise me in different ways. There's a twist. Yeah. Basically, what I'm trying to say is Hambly should focus on short stories rather than novels in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> okay. I feel like the thing that was most distracting to me in this story was that it didn't seem like some of the deaths belonged in the story. So Akbaz dies, Flegman dies. Those two in particular felt like they were part of a, di- a totally different plot. And mm-hmm. this was just sort of like happening here, which I think kind of, it just doesn't work for this short story because it was so distracting. Like they, those things didn't really fit in here. It almost feels less like a short story and more like a, a disconnected chapter. Yeah. Told from the wrong POV because my, my assumption is that there's a later story about these deaths and that Gartog is involved. Yeah. Gartog, I forgot. This is one of the big through lines in the short stories. Yeah. So it feels like, an entry into a longer story that should have been told from Gartog's point of view if you were going to include all of these details about the deaths. 99% sure there will be a story from his point of view. Yeah, but this part... Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This part, including those details, it was just a distraction. Like, like short stories have to be kind of economical in terms of what what they include. And I felt like I would rather have spent some of that time like getting to know Porcellus more so that I cared mm-hmm. at all about him. Well, that wraps up Taster's Choice, Detail of Jabba's Chef. Now let's check the holonet for messages. So there's a few tweets that we've received that we want to read and discuss. The first one comes from Star Wars Legends Lounge, and it is in response to our episode about Starfighters of Audemars. And he writes, Stackpole reading the Jedi Academy trilogy and taking a proton torpedo to the Wedge Queen relationship is one of the funniest things in Star Wars. <laughs> I agree. You can hear Crystal laughing. <laughs> Just, it's weird. Stackpole and I are like very aligned on what ships we find reasonable. <laughs> like, I'm not aligned with him on a lot of stuff some stuff for sure but like it's just funny to me that he was like i see that and i hate it so, and i'm going to remove it instantly <laughs> what i found funny so champions of the force came out in 94 right mm-hmm. and that was at the end of that their wedge and quee were pretty solidified following the jedi kyber trilogy yeah right and then dark saber came out in 95 so a little more than a year later and they were rocky i would say in that book I mean... Wedge was not tre- treating her well. No, but I don't know that either of them would have thought that their relationship was rocky at that time. I think they were both fine with it. Fair. But I, I kind of feel like that's the book where Zach was like, yeah, I need to end this. And <laughs> Rogue Squadron came out just a few months later, and Ayala's not actually in that book. Mm-hmm. We don't meet her, We hear about her. We don't actually meet her until Wedge's Gamble, and it's actually in Wedge's Gamble we kind of start getting that feeling, and that's not out until May 1996. <laughs> So what you're saying is he definitely had a long time to look at it and consider it and be like, nah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> we have another tweet from Patrick Meehan. 
Rereading ahead of each episode, I really was annoyed by the Orientalism of this book. It really felt like battling over Japan by colonial empires, replete with a mock-up of the author's beliefs of some kind of Bushido warrior culture. Outside of that, it was good, though. Yeah, we didn't really... Oh, we didn't touch on this during right, our episode. We talking about Starfire's Autumn as well. Yeah. And I agree, it does feel like colonialism fighting over Japan, frankly. Yeah. Didn't even occur to me while reading, but... I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes I, I have a little bit of trouble translating like the influences that are in the text into our real world, especially for cultures that I'm not as familiar with. Good thing to point out. Oh, very good thing. And Patrick also follows up with uh, saying, I really like the pod as always. So thank you for that. Thank you. And finally, we have a new listener tweeted at us, Jay Mellinger, at J underscore night underscore J. They say, I officially started listening to your podcast and I love it. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on Crystal Star, hashtag Waru. And then <laughs> hashtag later on, <laughs> responding to the tweet we put out about Crystal first reading Crystal Star, where you said, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's good, but I'm not bored. Um, Jay responded <laughs> to that and said, I read the Crystal Star as a teen when it was released. My first reaction to Waru's reaction was, a living jello mold from another dimension. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> and then a gif of Obi-Wan, the visible confusion gif from him being on Camino Attack of the Clones. Uh, it's so true. Uh, a living jello mold <laughs> from another dimension. So we've got that episode coming out in April, but I think just as a brief preview, it's kind of a crazy, wacky story. <laughs> I think wackadoodle is what you call it at some point <laughs> in the episode. That sounds like something I would say. It is wackadoodle. <laughs> And the episode was... Wackadoodle? Yeah. I mean, I was more excited to record that episode than I was to record Planet of Twilight. Yes. Because I was more engaged with Crystal Star than with Planet of Twilight. Much more. Like I said, I'm not bored. I don't know much good, but I'm not bored. <laughs> yeah. That was Planet of Twilight's greatest sin to me. Like, not that it was just bad. It was also boring. Crystal Star, I don't think it's a good book, but I'm entertained through most of it. I... Or a decent chunk of it. At the risk of... I don't know, everyone having a lower opinion of me. I think the Crystal Star had the potential to be a good book. Yes. Or at least a solidly mediocre book. Because <laughs> I was pretty into it through the first half. And then th other things started happening and I was no longer into it. <laughs> Thanks for engaging with us on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, in the Holonet. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love hearing from you. Yeah. And I get a real, like, I will say that I don't regularly check the the tweets on this account. I'm just not on Twitter very much, period. So Tom tends to sort of save them up and then, like, offer them to me on a platter when he's like, so should we do a hollow net for these? And then I get to, like, <laughs> read the funny stuff. And it's it's nice. It's the best way to engage in Twitter. Just have an administrative assistant who screens everything for I'll you. <laughs> You do do all the technical stuff for the podcast, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> Thank you. Next up, we'll be reading Plan of Twilight, written by Barbara Hambly again. You can look forward to that being published on March. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Thomas for editing. Uh, thanks for Christopher this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. You can also please rate, 
and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast reviewing platform of your choice. You can tell a friend about us or a family member. We'd appreciate that. If you think they'd like the the show, just send them an episode. Nice short one here. Easy one to start with. Maybe not the best one, though. True. I don't feel like I was on my A game for this episode just because I was pretty neutral about the story. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, it's better when I'm either... I think it's better when I either really like the story or when I'm really mad about the story. So heir to the empire or dark saber. Yeah. Spicy in one direction or another. <laughs> and now here it is. You know, Star Wars. But nobody who ate your food died of poison. Wailed Porcellus as the guards closed in around him. Jubnuk and to Ula, you can't. Oh, fire effect doesn't mean poison. C-3PO bustled officiously down from the dais. It's extremely difficult to poison a hut, of course, but all Hattie's words derive from food imagery, you see. Fire effect simply means a hex, a death curse, and you can't deny that Jubnuk and the unfortunate Ula both succumbed quite soon after sampling your meals. It's a natural misunderstanding. And so it was, but Porcellus derived little comfort from the fact as he was dragged away screaming to a cell to await his doom.